a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back, everyone. We're staying with the conversation as we continue on here on Inside Sources on a Friday on KSL News Radio. If you missed uh, the previous segment, we started a conversation I had earlier today with Gregory Weiner. He's the non-resident senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute. Uh, his work's focused on politics, American institutions, and political philosophies. Uh, he also understands Madison in a really unique way. He also has some really interesting things in terms of uh, kind of each day of the Constitutional Convention, what happened, and they're, they're actually breaking that down in a in a really unique way. And it's important for us to, to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, just before the break, uh, we were sharing from my interview with Greg how this obsession with the presidency uh, is starting to trickle down and have impact in races very close to home. Uh, it's a fascinating thing. The numbers were just absolutely astounding to me. But this is important stuff that we, we really need to think through in terms of how we hold everyone accountable. No more pointing fingers and place and blame and shrugging shoulders. Uh, everyone has to be held accountable. And Greg gives us great insight as to why. Yeah, and, and you pointed out something um, that was just stunning to me. I knew it was bad, but I did not realize the numbers were this way. In, in terms of that uh, split, in terms of a uh, House representative seat and the vote of the people of that particular district for president, um, you pointed out in your piece that only 16 out of 435 congressional districts voted different parties for the White House and their House of Representatives. Talk to us about that in terms of uh, what those representatives should be representing, what the White House should be representing. It's really quite uh, quite extraordinary. That's that's about 4% of the current, uh, the current House of Representatives, and that's down from uh, as much as 40% in, in some of the elections in the 1970s and wow. 80s. Uh, I think what it reflects is is two things. One is we have we're obsessed, as you said a moment ago, with the presidency, and the second is that we're obsessed with national as opposed to local politics. You know, Tocqueville said that local politics was where the real meaning and, and meaningful human interaction came. What we have now is this this, this very stratified and I would say uh, vertically integrated obsession with with the presidency and with national politics. So that you, you, we we found this over the last few years that even down to city council races, people were saying, I either support or oppose the president. And that's the basis. Not, not will I get your trash hauled away on time? Uh, or, or the other meaningful things that local government should be should be doing. But everything was revolving around the presidency. And it, it is a, a very serious constitutional distortion, not least because public views are, are typically nuanced. And, uh, you know, the way I've, I've, I've explained this in the past is, 
if you voted for uh, Donald Trump, uh, you were in, you were all the way in in terms of executive authority for the last four years, just as if you voted for Joe Biden, you're, you're all the way in right now. If you voted against, you're all the way out. Uh, so what that means is at any given moment, if the presidency is driving American government, you know, give or, give or take 40 or 40 percent or more of the population is really on the outs, whereas everybody in the mainstream of, of American politics can find their views represented somewhere in, in Congress. So Congress, as I've argued before, is, is sort of like the, the I'm not sure what the numbers are up to now, but the 42 megapixel camera that can pick up all the nuances. Whereas the presidency, and I, and I would argue the same of the courts, it's really ones and zeros. It's winners and winners and losers. Uh, if you're just joining us, we have Gregory Weiner on the line, non-resident senior fellow at AEI, a brilliant writer. Uh, if ever there's going to be a musical about Madison, uh, you're going to be the guy to, to help us write that. <laughs> I always as think as, he, long as I don't have to sing. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I think he always gets the short shrift. He did a lot of the hard work yeah. and heavy lifting. And uh, but so yeah. I want to I want to conclude today, Greg, with with something from Madison uh, that I think is so important. And uh, when I read this in your piece, I just I immediately highlighted it and thought, okay, this is this is interesting. You talked about Madison saying uh, that representatives' role in Congress was to refine and enlarge, and enlarge the public views. Uh, what did that mean to Madison, and what should it mean to us today? I think it means two things. I, I think one is he's very attached to the public views. He wants the public views driving politics. So this is very different from someone like Edmund Burke saying I should, a representative should exercise his or her independent judgment. I think that's a very important distinction. Madison wants to start with the public views, but the second thing is he wants to focus them, uh, sort of like refracting them rather than simply reflecting them. Uh, and he wants to focus them particularly because he thinks that, that if the, re- the representative can focus the people on their own long-term good rather than their immediate appetites, then you can have a, a, a real reconciliation between public opinion and, and justice. Wow. Great stuff. Great insight. Uh, we'll post the piece uh, on our social media page today. Also, uh, if you want to get more of some of uh, Greg's thinking and writing, uh, theconstitutionalist.org. And uh, Greg, tell us what you're doing with theconstitutionalist.org. Well, it's a, it's a website with a variety of writers from a variety of points of view uh, commenting on constitutional issues. And what we've been doing over the last two, three weeks is uh, this day in the Constitutional Convention, where one of us will take what happened on that day. And it's it's really in comment on it. Uh, and it's really fascinating. It, it, it There are so many small moments in the Constitutional Convention that we can learn from it. We, we, found, uh, we haven't found a single day that didn't have something interesting in it. Ah, fantastic. So again, you can find that at theconstitutionalist.org. And uh, Greg Weiner, non-resident senior fellow at AEI, brilliant writer, great insight today. Greg, thanks so much for making time for us. Thank you for having me. Conversation with Greg, and of course, you can go uh, check out the podcast on that kslpodcast.com. Uh, go to Inside Sources, and you get uh, my complete conversation with Greg. And I think on a day like today, again, we will call it out. It is National Blame Someone Else Day, and we have gotten really good at it. I, I think that's almost become every day, especially in our nation's capital. The thing that keeps haunting me or coming back to me from my conversation with Greg is that just how deeply our national politics it used to it used to be the saying was all politics is local 
And it seems that because of the shoulder shrugging and finger pointing and placing blame that now suddenly all politics is national. And that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And, and I want to go back. We, t- we talked about these numbers with Greg. And I just want to slow them down. And I just want you to think about this. In last year's election in 2020, out of the 435 congressional districts around the country, only 16 of them split their vote. In other words, the district, only 16 districts voted for, say, Joe Biden to win the presidency, but voted for a Republican uh, to be in the House or vice versa. Uh, Those who voted for Donald Trump, but then you know, elected a Democratic representative. So that's only 4%, less than 4% of congressional districts split in terms of political party voting. So it really was what was at the top of the ticket that mattered. Now, comparison, in the 70s and 80s, that number was 40%. In other words, at that point, almost half of the congressional districts in the country would split their vote between parties. Voting for one party to, to win the White House and the executive branch, the presidency, and then vote for a different party to represent them in Congress. So now that's gone from 40% down to 4 Uh We were talking about this uh, during the break. Uh, and uh, great to have Frank on the board today. We're blaming Frank for all the good stuff today. But we were talking about it. When you've got a mayor's race or a county council race that's being determined on who they supported for president, what party that is, that's missing the boat, gang. We've got to do it different. We've got to do it better. Coming up next, Chris Steyerwall is going to join us. Uh, Many of you recognize him, and uh, he's going to be pouring a part in conversation about how we got these kinds of politicians to begin with. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt in a new podcast the letter we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 